What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode here of the My Mate Podcast. This week on the show, we have a two-timer, and this man needs no introduction, but he is the great and powerful Mr. Eric Godsey, and uh, we got into some deep stuff again, but you know what was really cool? I said to him on the show, I was like, you know what, man? My persona, my original thoughts were like, oh, fuck, like, you know, how, how deep are we going to go and all this sort of stuff, but what I love doing about this podcast, what I love doing um, and speaking to people about is the fact that we're all very real and we all have very a whole degree of versions of ourselves. And, you know, Eric and I, we both love going deep. We love psychology, spirituality, philosophy. But we also spoke about the things in his life that aren't necessarily to do with that, like relationships, what he's struggling with at the moment, um, how he's keen to do more traveling, um, hike. And I wanted to do that episode because one thing I love about doing the show is that you get to know all different sides of people, not only what they're known for, but also how they are as human beings. And we all need more of that. I think we all need to realize that, you know, on the surface, we're all just trying to figure it out. And what makes us all stand on an even playing field is that one day we're not going to be here and we're going to wake up. Sorry, we're going to go to sleep and never wake up. So that makes us all equal and all even. And whatever it is that we're interested in, whatever it is that we find ourselves talking about, learning, reading, studying, um, doing, it's just, I feel like we all have a moral compass. And I feel like that's just, I I really do feel like we're all trying to be the best we can and do the best we, best jobs we can do. And some of us have issues that we're trying to work through and, you know, that can lead to addiction and things, but we're all trying to figure it out. And Eric is, um, his mind is brilliant. As he said, he, he's read a ton of books and he, he's had such a good speaking voice. But the reason that is, is because, you know, he, he told me that he used to have a bit of a stutter when he, when he was younger. And that's a classic example of someone that's done really well in trying to figure himself out and trigger, figure life out. And that's kind of what this episode is all about. Guys, just some housekeeping things. I've well and truly begun mind mate counseling, which is I'm absolutely loving it. I really feel that as a 26-year-old who is ignorant of the world, <laughs> as best as I can tell you right now, I feel like it's what I was born here to do. I'm, I just, I feel like life stops and I just get engrossed in these conversations with people learning more about their lives and um, I just love it. I really, really love it. So if you would like to reach out or just interested in, in having a free 15-minute chat, um, please do. Mindmate Counseling is all over the socials and um, I have an email linked up on Mindmate Counseling's Instagram page that you can reach out to me there if you so wish. Um, like I said on the Erin Telford podcast, if we have a chat and it turns out that the kind of counseling that I do probably isn't matched to kind of what uh, what you're looking for, um, the best thing about this podcast is that I've got some really cool networks and of um, people that I think hopefully may um, be able to help you if you are interested in going through some stuff um, with, with either myself or with someone else. But um, having said that, guys, I humbly hope you enjoy the show with uh, my dearest friend, Eric Godsey. The Pale Blue Dot. Well, Eric, my lovely bearded friend, welcome back to the Mind Make Podcast. Thank you for having me on, brother. I love it. I loved our chat last time, man. I, I had no idea where, um, where we were going to go, but um, we ended up in this beautiful world and it kind of um, ended up with you kind of giving the listeners and myself like a really good idea of how to find purpose and how to commit. And I guess like one of the things I got from it, man, was this idea of intrinsic values and everything you were saying to me, and um, I actually used the quote that you said in, in, in the book that I'm writing at the moment because I loved it so much. And everything you were saying was just kind of making me think of what I do just because I like to do it as opposed to what I do because, you know, superficially other people think I should do it. And even unconsciously because I have some kind of like need for validation. Um, right. And um, I was thinking if you could start off by just kind of like kind of getting back into that area and thinking how that's kind of how you've taken that approach with your life and how you've, you've progressed by doing things just because you want to do it. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I've been um, really getting into Ramdas lately, and like I've known of Ramdas for a while, but I've really dove into his work the last couple of weeks. And <clears throat> there's this idea in the Bhagavad Gita where essentially one of the main things that they talk about is do your work for work's sake, not for the sake of the reward. And I wish I knew the exact quote because it's very eloquent. It's been repeated for thousands of years. But, you know, the word that they use is dharma. And the way that they translate dharma is like your specific work in this life. And um, I link that with the Joseph Campbell idea that I think he probably got from Carl Jung. And it's this idea that you come into the world with a very specific energy signature based off of the combination of the DNA that you get from both of your parents, the psychological and the biological and the environmental situation that you gestated in inside of your mother, and then the context around your birth and like what those first couple of years were, it put it, you get like an energy signature in your being and it wants to dance in a very specific way in this life. It's not something you, something that you remember And I think that the thing that gets in the way is all of our shame, Mm. all of our guilt, all of our conditioning. And the way that I think about it is it's like your true Tao, your Dharma is this God that wants to dance and there's just chains all around it. Mm. And it's kind of our karma, quote unquote, to burn up the chains so that God can dance. And then your life your being that thing which is what you want to do and a really good example is what were things that you loved to do as a child before anyone had to teach you that you should do anything and you can act like a fucking forensic scientist and you can go ask your parents you can go ask your brothers and your sisters you can go try to contact you can use facebook for something other than to be upset by bullshit you can actually contact right (laughs) You can go contact the people that you grew up with and you can ask like, Hey, what do you remember? Like me being good at as a kid and you, you will start to find hints. And then I really like the, uh, uh, I report of like tracking a deer in the woods. Like it's this glowing white deer and it's nighttime and you're trying to hunt because you want to bring this food back to your tribe. And this deer that you're trying to find is like you reconnecting to your true shit. Mm. Like not who you think you should or who you ought or it would be a good idea if I blah, 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 blah. Like that can all come later because I, I don't think it's good advice just to tell people, just do what you love and good luck because you'll be on the fucking street. No, <laughs> I think you need to connect to what your core dance is And then you can use your mind, which is a great servant and a terrible master to help you build a life where you get to dance in this world, you know? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. It's, um, and so much of it, I think is kind of coming back into what the body is telling you as well. We're, We're so, you know, we're almost ingrained that this is the only thing that matters, you know, and it's just like, you know, go by what your thoughts are telling you and all this sort of stuff. And our thoughts are just stirring us into these, bizarrely awkward negative and anxious world sometimes half the time you know um but i think I, what i love about what you said just then as well is that that beautiful analogy of like hunting a deer in the forest it's not an easy thing to do it's not it's not hard it's not easy to, to hunt a deer but it's the right thing to do you know like i just think about for me all i would do is um dance and sing to music um i would write and i would like draw mazes all the time <laughs> And none of that shit was easy, but it just felt like time stopped. You know, I just, I knew you kind of intuitively know what flow feels like without someone having to actually describe that to you as a child. Absolutely. And flow states are the hints. Flow states are the hoof prints in the fucking forest of the deer. Follow your flow states. And Specifically, um, take time to recognize, do you have to use substances that are not going to benefit you in the long run to get into flow state? Because 
whatever your core thing is, like if you snort a rail of cocaine, you might feel like you're in a flow state talking to some dude at a bar about God or whatever. You, you, you feel like you are. Yeah. Um, and maybe you are, but you probably aren't. Um, but you can tap into these flow states without any chemicals. But you can use chemicals to kind of help you find the way. And the chemicals that I would recommend would be psychedelics. But I want to you know, really be clear, psychedelics aren't for everybody. There's an irresponsible way to do psychedelics. And there's a responsible way to do psychedelics. And if you take one evening to do the research, you can find out how to do it responsibly. And I truly think that if you do, it will help you. And there is maybe a one to 2% of people that have a psychological predisposition to schizophrenia not do psychedelics. Yeah, yeah. Which is interesting, like what um, Terence McKenna used to speak about in terms of schizophrenia. And what I've been doing, I've been doing a bit of research into schizophrenia and having a look at kind of what um, what people say about it and they say that, you know, it's almost like the unconscious hits boiling up to the surface and people kind of can't, you know, there's that quote that Joseph Campbell said, probably going to butcher it, but it was something like the psychotic drowns in the same waters that the same the mystic swims, the mystic swims in. Yeah. 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 I love that. And how prevalent is that? You know? Absolutely. And so here's a, there's a really in- interesting thing about schizophrenia. So, Though I think the right map or the right metaphor to use to kind of understand what's going on in our psyche is your conscious mind is a boat and underneath the boat is an ocean and the ocean is your unconscious mind. And there are all sorts of creatures down there. You want a boat that floats. You want an ego that has a barrier. You don't want a boat that um, will leak. And there are people who have genetic predispositions where their boats have holes and they have to spend a lot of time keeping the water from coming up because you will drown. Like the unconscious, which is inside all of us, you should be so grateful that your ego functions Mm -hmm. because we like what we think the totality of our life is like every memory, every friendship, every lover, every dream, is less than one percent of like the fucking gargantuan forces that are below the surface of our conscious awareness and we're grateful you know because uh it would be impossible to play that we seem to be here being asked to play and we're being asked to play the ego game and i think that there are ways to play it that is for the good of all and there are ways to play it that is for the destruction of all and I think it's kind of our task, everyone alive right now, to choose a path that's for the good of all. Mm-hmm. And do you think it has to be, do you think you have to find those tasks or that task that is fundamentally good for yourself first before you can serve the world? No, there is no one way, you know. Um, I, I do think that when you are at your optimal expression, it is because you have found your dance And you have found a way to do it in this cultural game in a way that supports you financially, because that is a part of the game that we are in. And you could even just take out financial and just energetic, like, cause on some fundamental, the exchange of money is an exchange of energetic intent. And, you know, maybe the service you provide, people don't give you money, but they support you in some type of way, but you're providing value in an energetic level where you are, receiving something that will support your meat suit and then you're just seeking mastery at that like if if you find how you dance you figure out how to do it in a way that takes care of your ego needs you really have to fucking be careful about what you think your ego needs because it's Mm -hmm. if you are not fucking taming that she like i need a yacht you know money and whores money and whores (laughs) right right and then I think that the third one is just seek mastery in a way that helps the greatest number of people. And of course, I'm just projecting what I think I'm trying to do. And, you know, I think it's different for everybody. But I do think everyone has their dharma. Everyone has their thing that they know. And everyone I've ever met who... So there is a fundamental certain percentage of that just seem to not have the hardware to even be able to track what we're saying and that is a a brutal fact of physical existence i don't understand why that is the way that it is but it seems to be that that is a part of this dance but most people 
who say that they don't know what their shit is. It's like, I know you think you believe that, but I really, 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 really believe that you know that there are 10 things that you're doing every day that you know you're doing to distract yourself from having to face whatever it is that you know you need to face. And if you just slowly stop doing those things and you slowly start to get more quiet and you picked up any type of introspective skill that helps you cultivate your relationship to yourself in a matter of weeks, you're going to know maybe not what your thing is, but you know what the next step is. And the next step is probably end that relationship or have that talk with that friend or stop doing that thing that you know is fucking up your mind and taking you away from being conscious or to go do that one thing that you know you've been avoiding, but it's the thing that even though you fear, you know it's the best thing for your growth. I really think almost everyone so much more admit. Yeah, definitely. Uh, this is why, because uh, I started doing your course, man, and um, this is why I think the, the, the very first part of that course is so important is to just kind of look at yourself in the mirror, or I did it with my partner, like, looking into each other's eyes for like five minutes and just don't say anything. You, like you do something like that and you feel the discomfort starting to creep in a little bit. You're like, Oh, well, there's a thought that I can kind of run away with or like, Oh cool. Now I'm looking at her nose. And then I'm like, Oh, then we can talk about what we have to do tomorrow. But just staring there for five minutes. And what was so good about that was just like, I've done it in the mirror before as well. And it's like, Oh cool. That's right. I start to see that I, you know, there, I'm actually inside this, as you say, meat suit, and then that can just go on for infinity. But also, I kind of got a little bit of a different response from doing it with Siobhan as well, because I was like, oh, fuck, like, do I actually tell you that I love you as much as I should tell you that I love you? Because I, I need to, you know, even little things like that are so good for, for awareness, you know? What are some other ones that you use? Um, my go-to is to meditate. Um, I specifically like Vipassana, which is just, you're just cultivating the ability to be aware of when your thought takes you away from the breath and it does it over and over and over. And it's just trying to tune how you're able to detect and to feel when your mind comes off of where you're trying to keep it focused. And the idea is you do that long enough to where you have what is called focus. So then you can go do all these other things that other meditations talk about. But the thing is, is that most people don't even have enough control over their mind for their mind to do most of these meditative techniques that are shared because you'll attempt to do it. And then you start to think about like, you have to go get dog food. Yeah. And it's like, so that's where I'm, but my big way of um, connecting to myself is to fucking write. I, I know that my expressive way of um, alchemizing my, my karma, like all the shit that's going to come up in my life, my entire life, is going to be through writing and speaking. Like that's how I dance. That's how I'm going to share my lowest moments in my life, how I'm going to share the highest moments of my life. Um, I, I really think that if you want to thrive in this life, you've got to find your artistic, expressive vehicle that you will use the notable suffering that life because we are little ego things embedded in a body programmed by evolution and we are so attached to the things we like and we are so attached to the things that we don't like and we are playing games every single fucking day to maximize the things that we think make us feel good and to minimize the things that we feel make us not feel good. Mm. And we are so lost in the sauce every day. And it's just, it's going to be a constant dance of how to come back to the truth that you are not your ego. You are the awareness that witnesses your ego and the ego is master. The ego is the servant. And hopefully it's trying to serve humanity in a, way that is of yeah definitely man hey there was we were we're hitting we went deep last time and i was thinking like okay we could go we could go super deep again and obviously we will um but i wanted to touch on something that i don't think we really got into um and you and i 
from, from what it seems, and we don't know each other too well, but we know each other semi well. And um, it seems like we're kind of more into the intersubjectivity of talking about this sort of stuff than maybe the classic clinical approach to talking about therapy. And I, I think it's, I think that's a beautiful way to be human because to build trust and build rapport, you kind of have to be vulnerable with each other, you know, and you have to talk about little things here and there without a huge degree of transference. But I wanted to ask kind of some of the, what's some of the stuff you're kind of struggling with at the moment, kind of like your resistances or, you know, things, things that you're just kind of working on. Yeah, this is a great question. Um, So, I went to Peru last year, Chuma, and Wachuma is a very heart-opening drug. And um, my big takeaway after that experience is I'm going to do whatever I need to do to face whatever self-limiting stories I have around love. Like I want to fucking lead with my heart and not with my mind. That was the big message. And so I tried to do open relationships for a while because I thought that that would check out what I said. I thought that that would be the best way for me to expose whatever my bullshit is around love. And what I found is that I had a lot of fun and I had a lot of sex and I didn't let anyone close enough for my heart to ever be triggered. And I honestly probably, um, because they would all want to be like monogamous and I would be like, no, this is what I'm trying to do. This is how I'm trying to leave with my heart. And I was talking (laughs) with my motherfucking mind. My heart is on my dick. Exactly. Um, And so I did a solo MDMA session um, using like the MAPS protocol because that's really a good way for me to check in. Um, And I wrote down some questions. I put on blindfolds. um, I laid down. I listened to music. And then I asked myself these questions. And I realized that I wasn't that I was playing a game and I wasn't letting any of them close. So I stopped doing that. And then three months after that, very organically, um, I met someone who didn't live here, but who knew like of like the stuff that I was doing through like go for your win and stuff for Aubrey. And we started connecting and she came to visit and it was fucking magical. And so we started dating and we're monogamous. And, and um, when I went to visit her uh, last week, I was there for a week, essentially um, I don't know how much is appropriate to share to protect like her privacy, but I'm just going to be honest of what happened on my end. Um, hmm. Fuck it. I'm just going to tell the truth. Um, She, her and I had some, we had a really good conversation and some stuff around sex came up and we started to have like this energetic blockage. And like before that it was great. And then we had this like block. And then the last night I was there, we went to dinner with some friends and I could feel that she was sexually to somebody else. And um, she wasn't inappropriate. She wasn't rude. But like we have such a good intuitive grasp of each other that I could feel it. Mm. And so then after the dinner, um, we talked about it. And it was a great conversation. Like our ability to communicate is unlike any relationship I've ever been in. It's one of the things that I love the most. But that was my last day there. So when I flew home, um, I had this feeling of I couldn't sexually connect with the woman that I love. I could feel that she was attracted to somebody else. She doesn't want an open relationship and she didn't even do anything that would have been like inappropriate. But all my shit came up. Like all of my shit came up. And because it's long distance, she lives in Portland and I live here, I had to sit in my shit for a week. And it was truly... the most emotionally challenging thing that I've done in the last couple of years, because I have so much more awareness than I used to to date and just avoid these things. And I purposefully did not do anything that would diminish my feelings. And I purposefully did things that would amplify how I felt. And um, the long of the short of it is I have a lot of very immature and naive stories about how my ideal should be. And um, there's this idea in Jungian psychology called an, or an animus projection. And it's this idea that we all have an inner ideal other 
that we project onto people that we quote unquote follow. And there's this bliss period of like three to six months where it's like, this is fucking perfect. And the reason that that a big reason why that feeling arises is because you don't know who the fuck they are. You barely know who you are. And when you interact with somebody else, you have to project an idea of what type of human they are just to interact with them. And we each have a special projection for the people that we consider a lover. And there's this moment between three to six months where you have to face the death of that projection because you actually learn that they're a person. And then there's that junction in the relationship where people either break up or they have to get to know the other person. And really what a lot of people do is they feel that they don't break up, but they don't ever really tell the truth and they start to look for somebody else. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Dude. Right. It's fucking crazy. Like, you know, oh man, (laughs) I was just, as you were talking, I was thinking back to all the dreams that I was analyzing around that time of our relationship. And there was like three to four dreams where Siobhan just kept dying in all of these bizarre ways in the dream. That's exactly, that is exactly one of the ways that it manifests in your dreams. And it's so because it's long distance, there's empty space for both of us to project so much of our anima and our animas. And this most recent visit, my anima projection broke. And there's a huge amount of gratitude in that because now I get to actually learn who the fuck she is. But there's also like, because I've only allowed myself to fall in love a couple of times, the death of that thing, even though I know it's not true, there's this emotional like karmic digestion that still has to happen mm. and um, it's of it. Like I'm, I'm just digesting this fact that like a part of us, but it died so that I can actually get to know who the fuck she is. And so that's been where I've had the most resistance lately. Oh, shit. So where, where, do you, where did that um, myth come from of that, that inability to, to receive and, and open? Um, hmm. so I think that my relationship with my mom was such where I was, I felt that I had to be the, th- the therapist for my mom at a very young age and that my mom's emotional stability, she was going through a tremendous amount and she had unwavering, unconditional love for me. But a thing that I learned is that I couldn't express kind of any type of emotional um i couldn't be angry i couldn't be dismissive i couldn't be rude because um of how much it felt like that would hurt her Mm. and so i think that there was just this thing very early on where i learned i'm supposed to be the calm one i'm supposed to be the stable one um i can't freak out i can't i can't cry i can't lose my cool um And also, I just had no mapping from my dad about how to be emotional. And I think most men growing up in our generation did not have a dad who had any idea about how to be emotional. That's okay. He was going through his own stuff. But yeah, I think that that is kind of where I, um, well, no. Okay. I fell in love with someone in high school and it was, and basically she, she kind of led me on for a couple of years, but, but it was also because I had a lot of moments and I didn't seize those moments because I was afraid. Yeah. And so we kind of had this pattern for four years that whenever we were in a relationship with somebody else, we were super like, I love you. And then whenever we were both single, she would kind of give me a chance to make a move and I would always bitch out. And then she would just kind of go find somebody else for like four years. And then finally I was like, I can't fucking talk to you anymore. Like it's, it's too emotionally painful for me. So she drove her to my house one day. It was a summer night before our senior year. So we've been doing this dance for like three years. She takes me out to the lake and we're talking and she slowly walks up to me and she starts kissing me. And I was so nervous that I didn't kiss back. And she pulled away and she looked me in the eye and she said, I don't feel anything. And I fucking, I fucking died. Uh, And that's when I closed my heart, man. Um, I was 17 and I closed that bitch up for almost. 
I happened once after that when I was like 19 or 20 and I fell in love and I was in a relationship for like three or four years, but I didn't have the tools or the self-awareness or the courage to really make that unfold into what it could be. And we broke up. And then this most recent relationship is the next time I've actually really let my heart open. And because it's open, I have to look at all the fucking scar tissue around it and I have to fucking clean it. And I'm in the midst of cleaning it. Yeah. But you know, you're talking about like who the, who the person you had to be for your mum was and the way kind of trauma manifests itself is like, we, we start to, you know, augment the aspects of ourself that, that receive that love. It really does come back to love, doesn't it? You know, and, and what we, what we, what we lacked and what we didn't get when we were children and all this sort of thing. And that's how trauma happens, you know, and you know, what, what the person you had to be in order to, to get what you wanted from your mum became more of the, you know, archetypal Eric Godsey. And then the other parts that were probably still you, you know, but didn't get that became less and less. And now you kind of move into this position where you're kind of looking into that world and seeing, Oh fuck, I left that behind. I left that behind. I left that behind. Exactly. You know, it's cause it, I mean, it's, it's challenging to, to go into that world but it's also so incredibly heart-opening. Amen. You are spot on. And the thing that I am recognizing is that most of my suffering in relationships is coming from this projection of how they should be, which is a manifestation of how my, how my boyish self must have seen my mom. It's, I have a mother complex, and I can see that I'm having to digest it. And one way to break out of that is to claim the parts of me that are my truth that I didn't feel like were appropriate when I was younger. And so like a part of that is like combat sports, like really fucking honing this anger that I have inside of me that I have never let myself express. I have never in my life, except for maybe twice in high school, have like yelled at someone in a way where I said something purposefully to be mean. Like, it's never happened. And um, a part of that is admirable, but a part of that is also like, you're not tapped into your darkness, mm. you know? And a big thing that I can feel I'm being invited to learn since I started working here is like to tap into my darkness and to find the things in the darkness that are actually parts of me that I want to have, not just being the type of person that my mom would be proud of. Because honestly, um, that's not my full true dance. That's something that I have to break. What combat sports, man? Uh, Muay Thai and BJJ. No shit. That's fucking weird. I just started doing BJJ like three, four months ago. And I mean, I was in a good spot and my mental health has soared even more because now I have like a productive, civilized filter for the anger. <laughs> yeah, man. Fucking awesome. I love it. <laughs> So tell us about fit for service, mate. Cause I think last time um, we were chatting, I don't think that had begun. I think it was just about to happen, but um, I love following you and I love reading kind of the, I think the favorite, my favorite thing that I love that you put up on your socials is just like snippets from the books that you're reading. I love doing that, but I'm really interested in the fit for service stuff as well. Yeah. So fit for service is a mastermind that Aubrey is doing. That's a year long. And the focus is basically to help people become physically mentally and spiritually fit to serve the world more effectively and like most masterminds are about like come over here and we'll teach you how to make money and that's just it and um he saw that there was this big hole and kind of like this uh community of masterminds where it's like these people who have a lot of money and who want to be better we're only the only people who are trying to give them anything are people who are trying to teach them how to make more money but really what we need are people who've already found their way in the world to like get the security tokens to fucking pay the rent. But how do we direct people to be a force for good in the world? And that's essentially what the fit for service mastermind is about. It's about Aubrey trying to inspire these people and to give these people a sense of community, but also to point them to be a certain way in the world where they're helping more than they're taking, you know, cause a lot of people like, a lot of what we think when we think of like a businessman or a businesswoman is just this greedy old kind of haggard thing. 
and we're trying to change that archetype and you know like it'd be beautiful if in 20 years the archetype of the ceo or the archetype of this high performing business person is like they fucking cry when they read a good poem they read good poems they're not watching tv or you know like they're not watching that bullshit tv they're actively trying to build communities where they live that inspire people they're trying to spread awareness of anything that genuinely helps people's health. Like, and we believe that that is um, the legalization of psychedelics. And there's a lot of research that we can talk about there, but like people who use their means to actually make the world concretely better, as opposed to just how many commas can I get in my motherfucking bank account? Yeah. And so uh, we do quarterly summit, meetups like where everyone gets together and basically it's just a bunch of love a bunch of workshops some some initiation rituals like ecstatic dance or holotropic breathing or sweat lodges or whatever and then you know just kind of a commitment for the next three months like let's go out into into the world and try to create as much change as we can and then we'll come back together yeah and how's it how does it change you because i know that the best way to learn is to teach you know yeah, man, the truth. So I talked about it on my, on my um, Instagram a while ago, but I've, I've always thought like that I wanted to be like a psychologist and that I wanted to help people psychologically. But all of my dreams up until about a year and a half ago was like, and I specifically dreamt this, like, this is what I wanted. I wanted to create things that would heal people, but that I wouldn't have to be in front of them. And the way that I justified that to myself was, Um, I want to be so effective that I don't have to be there. So like if I die, I can still help people. But behind that was also a fear of speaking in public because I have a stutter and it was my speech impediment was so bad as a child that I had a speech pathologist and I was afraid of like having to actually do my work in front of eyes that could watch and could judge. And one like, having to do this because truly like um, I didn't know that I was going to be a part of this. And then when Aubrey came up with the idea, he, he told me, he didn't ask me, he told me you're one of the coaches. And so I had to kind of deal with my imposter and yeah. And um, we do Instagram lives every week. So I've gotten really comfortable talking. And then this most recent summit, I did my first in-person workshop that I've ever done. And I, of course, I was nervous. I doubted myself. But once I started doing it, <clears throat> I know I've put in the work and I know my intention is clean and it went super well. And I just kind of had this aha moment because I saw like, I saw how powerful be when you ask a group of people to do the exercise right, yeah. right there. It's just, I don't care how good of an online course I make or how good of a book I write. It is unless you are at the perfect point in your life to really do the work, it's not going to have the same impact. You're in front of 20 people that you want to impress and you're there to do the work and you're given a technique and then it's fucking time to do it right there. And I saw the power that was able to be manifested between all of us by doing like in-person workshop. And so like, now I know, I know my truth is that I have to do in-person things going forward and that I'm hiding behind fear if I don't. So that that's been a huge thing for me. Mm. I love that. I, I mean, this podcast is all about ways to get to know your mind and the best way to get to know your mind is to hear out other people who have got to know them, you know, their minds and their things. And yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very um, astonishing to me that, you know, you, you have, up until, well, I mean, in some ways it is, in some ways it's not. I mean, the fact that you probably are such a good speaker is the reason because you've had such a challenge to become one, you know, and I think that the, the best um, in their, in their modes uh, have become the best because they've had this thing constantly pushing them to, to fight for more and to become better and, and all that sort of thing. That's, that's awesome, man. What's like, like a, a fucking real legendary experience from, um, from the, from the fitness service, just like off the top of your head. Hmm. Um, for sure. The Temescal that we did in Tulum. So are you familiar with what that is? No. So it's a type of, um, sweat lodge ceremony that's indigenous to like central America. 
and it's almost like this stone igloo and um, it's ran by shamans and they heat up these stones and a bunch of people will go into this stone igloo and they will line up around the wall and in the center of the igloo is this pit for the stones and the shaman will start to put like smoldering stones in the middle of this pit and then once there's like 10 in there they will put a blanket over the only opening so it's pitch dark and then they have a bucket of water in front of them, like these long leaves, and they just start to splash water on these rocks. And it gets so humid and hot and dark, and they start to chant. Cool. And it goes on for like an hour. And it's, it's truly an initiation going on for hundreds, if not thousands of years. Wow. And um, at the most recent um, summit, everyone did it. And it just, it fucking opened up in a way that nobody could have expected. And then unofficially there was a party at the place where they were all staying, like where all the guests were staying and there may or may not have been lots of uh, extracurricular exogenous uh, psychedelics ingested. Of course, of course, you know, it has to happen, (laughs) man. So my partner went and did her um, breath work uh, facilitation course um, and then she actually went to Austin for a bit um, so she was doing that in New Mexico it was run by a guy named David Elliott he had like 50 people there and um, she came back because we'd done breath work just basically um, inward breath in the belly inward breath in the chest and then breathing out and you just keep going and it's just like you just keep it's actually quite challenging initially but you reach this state that's very similar to my last podcast was about um um, you know, a blog I wrote about an MDMA trip and kind of what that brought up for me. And it was very similar. And, you know, I, I said to her, you know, I'm not really someone that cries, not because I'm, I struggle with it. I just naturally don't, I can get teary with, with things, but I'm actually just not a big crier. And she did a session on me. I cry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's go. I wish I did, man. I wish, I wish I cried more, you know? Um, I think, uh, yeah, maybe we'll see how much stuff's around there, but, um, by the end of that session, man, it was, it was just like tears and tears of just so much gratitude, happiness of just like anything. You look like anything. Oh my God, there's a fucking couch in here. Like, the, like whatever, it doesn't even matter, you know? And I think that's what's so incredible about, um, you know, whether, whether you're for psychedelics or not, whatever it is, you can reach these states of just incredible internal, um, you know, revelation almost just by doing things yourself. So, did, I mean, what were people's experiences and feedback from, from, from just kind of reaching that state with their own breath, let alone the psychedelics after, of course? Uh, yeah, there were all sorts of reports. There were some people that just like couldn't even articulate, but just felt like they loved everybody. And then there were some people that like specifically felt like they were contacted by like a dead grandmother or something that like had a message for them. Um, what was the most powerful thing about it though was like just the raw energetic shift that I saw in all of them. Just this, like, it's almost like when you have to go through an initiation ritual and it goes well, there's just this, there's this relaxation of the ego and you just put down the persona. You just put down the thing that you're trying to be and you're just fucking there. And it's so refreshing. And that's why I think it was the most powerful thing. So not any specific story, but just the energetic shift that I sensed in almost afterwards. Mm. That's the best. I, I think that's probably one of the, the greatest takeaways I'll, I'll get from this podcast is, is taking that and implying that to life is that, you know, we do it subconsciously, you know, like you said, we're in this primitive um, body that just wants to fuck and take care of itself and be happy and eat and, you know, make sure that it's always with the tribe so that it's never isolated in the savannas. And we always carry that. We always have that mask on us. And I think anything like that is just so, Oh, you know, I mean, you know, I did it even the first time recording with you. So I was like, this, this is, this guy's like a wealth of knowledge. I can't wait to, to interview him and then I'm kind of like oh my shit who do I have to be and all this sort of stuff and we started talking about <laughs> it's just hectic you know we started talking about dreams we started talking about all this and stuff yeah, and man. Like, man this you know what like just relax and let's just see where it goes and um 
that's what's that's what's so good about I, I think the stuff that you guys are doing there and I think um kind of the shift in the world hopefully from especially from the, the content I consume. I feel a shift, absolutely. Yeah, and the thing that you touch on that Oh dude, you've I think you I can't hear your microphone. Oh there we go. I think I've got you there. Oh, that's better. Yep. Mic check? Yep. Got yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Last thing you said was, um, I think, uh, something that I touched on. But you could have said I touched myself. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So um, an interesting thing that I have recognized that you brought up is I tend to bring that out in people too much. Like people think that they have to be like philosophical and we've got to fucking go deep and. <clears throat> it's really taxing on people closest to me. Like, um, and what I can do is I can be better at trying to find more humor because truly my, I, I think that I'm so um, dramatic and kind of like somber because I feel like I see more truth than the average person. But I know that if I just had, if I was a little bit wiser, I'd find the comedy. And I, I'm just, I'm not there yet. And I know that, like, I take all of this shit so seriously. And, like, I know that I joke around, but, like, it's, it really feels like when I'm with most people, it's like if you were a nutritionist and everyone that you were around, most people that you were around looked sick. And there's this part of me that is trying to please my mom and I'm projecting it onto everybody. And I'm, it's, it's my dharma. It doesn't feel like I'm trying to do this, but I'm just, I'm always trying to like, let's bring the truth out of this part of the psyche that I can mm. see that is the part that you want to, but you have resistance to. And like, I have, I can be better at bringing more playfulness to my closest relationships because dude, imagine talking to me every day. <laughs> like, <Whoa. it's, laughs> You know what, man? This is this people is, are really excited for like a week, and then they're like, "Fuck, man, that guy sucked." <laughs> but you know what, man? Like, I I think um, this is kind of that's very similar with me. I kind of struggle with that a little bit too, and I think this is why I mentioned it many times on this show. Which probably just the Freudian slip, you know, whatever. Um, but Siobhan was so good in my life is because she really balances that out. Because I think that if you and I were hanging out we'd spend the next 10 hours going super deep and we'd hit this flow state and we'd just be like, whoa, this is fucking hectic. And people would be looking at us being like, what is going on over there? We'd just get through like 14 subways, seven meatball footlongs. <laughs> I'd just be like, I need to relax as well. But you know what, man? What really helped me with that was um, reading Alan Watts. Just his, the way, his writing is just so beautiful. And like his little analogies and things where it's like oh yeah that's right like how we just call life a game all the time and you know it's just about it's all about um choosing which games you want to play you know like do you really want to jump in on that game of having a go at that person because you know she cut you off on the road like you can play that game but do you want to play that game or do you want to like do you want to just bring it down you know yeah i find that my current help me find more humor right now is Ram Dass. Like, I really feel very pulled to him and I'm going to be digesting all of his stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so what do you do outside of the psychology philosophy stuff? Like, who is, who is the, other, the other side of Eric Godsey? Apart from having a fresh beard. Yeah, uh, thank you, man. Um, I really enjoy basketball. Um, I enjoy working out. I enjoy being competitive inside of that arena. Uh, I fucking love like just grungy hip hop music. Um, I'm always listening to podcasts and I'm trying to cultivate how to be an entrepreneur kind of outside of my um, work. Uh, but I also feel, especially with this relationship that I'm in now, I'm feeling really called to like, I want to travel. I want to hike. I want to hunt. I want to learn like, I've, I've read so many books, dude, but yeah. it's time to actually broaden to the fucking world and like experience things. Sure. And so I'm really comfortable reading a book 
that's kind of hard to read for four hours and get into an awesome flow state and being like, I did what I should have done today. Yes. But a part of me is like, no, bitch, uh, you didn't do something that was uncomfortable. Like, mm. so a big thing that I'm trying to cultivate the next year or two is I want to travel more. I want to go do things with my body that don't involve a book that are uncomfortable and just use all the tools that I know that I have to go fucking explore the world a little bit more. And um, I'm also interested in studying. That's not the right word. I'm also interested in playing with and experiencing and just learning about all of the alternative types of sex that are out there because if I want to understand the human condition, I've got to fucking explore all the weirdness. It doesn't mean I have to do it, but I want to understand it. Mm. And so that's what I'm interested in exploring. Yeah, man. I think everyone should be interested in exploring that. <laughs> that's a yeah. call to anyone that finds Harry Godsey at least a six out of 10. He's interested in exploring you. <laughs> that's awesome, man. Cool. Well, dude, if you ever want to come to Australia, come to Melbourne, um, we'll hang out and, um, we're about to open up a meditation space and um, a bit of a counseling thing in there. So we, we seek to hang out and take you around. Be cool. Absolutely. I have a feeling that I'll be one day and I will be making rounds. Legend. Mate, where I think we said it last time, but I think it's always important to. Um, how about you? Do you want to talk a bit about your course before we finish off the pod? Yeah, so um, I have two courses out right now. One is with my friend and it's over journaling. And it's like a 31 day course um, that's really kind of a step by step how to get into journaling in the way that I do it. And then I recently released a course that was based off of the workshop that I did in Tulum for Fit for Service. Um, it's in the beta version. There's a lot of shit that I want to add to it. And uh, yeah, if you're interested in checking those out, just go to ericgotzi.com and uh, yeah, I hope that they help you live a better life. Sure. Love it. Eric, thanks so much for coming back on the show, man. I love it. I loved, um, I loved our first chat, love our second chat. And um, hopefully we just keep doing this, man. It's good fun. Absolutely, brother. I really appreciate you connecting and for you doing what you're doing. You're a great interviewer. Thank you, mate. It's very good of you. It's very good of you. All right, guys. Peace. Guys, how good was that? Again, like I said in the intro, it was it was deep and meaningful, but it was also very, you know, how are you as a bloke, mate? What are you kind of, what do you, what's 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 taking your fancy at the moment? You know, um, what's it like um, living in uh, living in Texas as a uh, as an old as a as a late twenty what is it twenty eight twenty nine I think it is something like that, and um, that's what's most important about this show to me. It's what gets me out of bed anyway, guys. Uh, if you wanted to have a look at this podcast, how we spoke, the wonderful technology that is Zoom and Skype, you can check it out on YouTube. Just look up Tom Ahern and all of the, uh, the snippets, the highlights of the podcast, the full episodes are up on YouTube as well. Um, all of the guests, literally from episode one to episode nearly 60, I think we are now almost there. I think this was episode 56 or 57. Uh, they're all up there. And um, for your viewing pleasure. So I really hope you enjoyed that, guys. Let me know if you did. If you didn't, let me know as well. I want to build this up for us. And I'll speak to you next week. Love you all. Bye-bye.